All right, let's get into the word. If you do not have a Bible this morning, you're going to need one to follow along in. So if you don't have a Bible with you or a Bible app on your phone, just go ahead and put your hand up and our ushers will get you a Bible that you can use to follow along in. And if you're receiving one of those Bibles and you currently do not have a Bible of your own, please just keep the Bible that you receive and dig into it on your own. Um, Go right away to Romans chapter 8. We are going to uh, look again at a passage and some specifics within that passage. Um, If you remember last week, we looked at Romans 8.28. We talked about the certainty that we can have that God is working for the good of his children. We can stand on that with certainty. So I want to back up and I want to read the passage that surrounds that verse and this morning's verses once again. Um, We have to know the context, church, in which the verses that we look at today are written. We've got to understand the context. We'll talk a lot about that. Um, So here it is, Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 30. Paul writes this to the church in Rome. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Then today's verses. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, this uh, sometimes when you, when you read Paul's writings, you may come across one of his classic run-on sentences. Um, that go on for a long paragraph. This could easily have been one of Paul's famous run-on sentences. But as this passage is presented in sentences for us, the way it was translated for us, in in sentences that we can follow along with, um, you can see some great connecting words in this passage. Um, Halfway through verse 26, the word for just carries on the thought. Verse 27 starts with and. Verse 28 starts with And verse 29 starts with four again, just carrying on. And verse 30 starts with and he just goes on and on with this one thought. Everything in this passage is tied together. And when we look at the passage that way, we just may be blown away with how encouraging this passage is. With what Paul packs in here, the whole statement thrills me because it reminds me of so much about who God is and how much he loves us. So our focus this morning is going to be on verses 29 and 30. Look at those again. Paul writes, for those whom he foreknew, 
he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And within these two verses, Paul mentions five stages from foreknowledge to glorification. And I want us to look at these five stages together. The five stages are foreknowledge, predestination, calling, justification, and glorification. And please do not let these words throw you. It's a mouthful. Be prepared, though, to receive a blessing beyond description as we examine these words together. Paul's goal in this passage seems to have been to bless and encourage the church. You can see it all over the passage. He just reminded them of ways in which God helps them. He talks about the spirit interceding for them. He reminded them that God's working everything together for their good. And now here are some ways in which he is working everything together for their good. And these are amazing ways in which God is doing that. Paul makes it clear that God is the one who does these things. God carries out these five stages. It says here, he foreknew them. He predestined them. He called them. He justified them. He glorified them. And following these verses, Paul is going to explode into some praise to the God who has done all of these things. And we'll get there next week. But please invite God to speak to you through these verses. As we examine them, look for the generosity and the love of your father. Many of you have been encouraged and strengthened through our study of this chapter so far. These two verses will simply add to that encouraged encouragement. They will add to that strengthening that you receive from Romans chapter 8. Now, for some of you, these verses have been at the center of a debate that you really want to engage in this morning. You may be looking for key words like Calvinism and tulip. You may be hoping that I am finally going to answer for you the question of predestination versus free will. So let's get this over with before we move on. You may leave here very disappointed today. <laughs> I will not be digging into that debate. Here's why. I'm not going to avoid the debate based on the fact that I'm not an intellectual. I'm not, but that's not the reason. I'm not going to avoid that debate because it intimidates me. It doesn't. It did, but it doesn't. That's not the reason. I'm not going to avoid that debate because it, uh, because I have seen, because it bothers me, because I have seen Christians in the church divide and argue and fight over this stupid debate. And I'm sorry I called it stupid, but it creates anger. It creates division. And the division that I've seen makes me sick to my stomach. But that's not why I'm going to avoid the debate. I've chosen not to go there this morning because I firmly believe that Paul didn't go there himself. So why would I? Why should we? Paul addressed a church located in Rome made up of Jews and Gentiles. 
That church was part of the first generation of Christ followers after Jesus walked the planet. Paul wanted to go to Rome to encourage them in person, but he didn't make it. In this letter, God directed Paul to write to this church about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and his saving work. In that context, in that context, Paul writes to them about the hope that they have and the love that their father has for them. In that context, let's look at what he says. At the beginning of verse 29, Paul introduces the first of the five stages that I mentioned. He, he states that God knew them beforehand. He uses the word foreknew. This is the point at which I've seen many church people jump the rails and head off on a massive tangent. And so let's start here with this word. This is a key word for us to understand. And I think... I think this is what has happened to many of us at this point. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. The way in which we understand the meaning of this word is going to determine where we go with these two verses. It is. In fact, the way we understand just half of this word is going to determine which direction we go with these verses. The word foreknew is made up of, as it is in English, it's made up of two words. For means beforehand. The part of this word that gives us trouble is new. Foreknew. Yes, this word means to know beforehand. Or knew beforehand. But let's talk for a moment about what new is saying. Our English brains will quickly go to the acquisition of knowledge or information. In our minds, to know beforehand means to have information ahead of time. What's been done with these words is, I think, just neglect. Does the word knew simply mean that God knew something about this person's future beforehand? I don't think it does entirely. Combined with the word that follows, predestined, does this simply mean that God knew something about a particular person before it happened? I think there's more. I think there's more. The Greek word that's used in the combination of new and beforehand has a much deeper meaning. To know in this context means to have an intimate understanding of someone. It means there's a closeness. This word was even used in the time in which it was written as a euphemism for sexual intimacy. There's a, a level of relationship that's being expressed here. In this context, it means that God knew someone intimately before they were even created. So when we read those whom he foreknew, I can't see anything other than the fact that God is encouraging the church in Rome with the reality that he knew them before they were even born. He knit them together in their mother's wombs. And this lines up perfectly with all kinds of statements throughout the Bible that express the same thing. God knows his creation. He knows us. 
He's the one who put us together. He knows everything about us. He sees everything about us. And this is the gateway into these two important verses. God knows the people that he created. He knows them. He loves them. He sees the ways in which they were created in his image. He sees them the way they will be when they've been fully redeemed and restored. He sees them and he loves them unconditionally before anything. Before their first breath, before any cells were put together, God knew them. He knew them intimately. God knew the brothers and sisters in the church in Rome before they were even born. He knew everything about them because he knit them together and he, and he loved them deeply and unconditionally. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Second stage of the five that are mentioned in these verses is predestination. And the meaning of this word is very much like it sounds. Predestined, appointed beforehand. Appointed beforehand. Those whom God loved before they were born, he appointed them to something ahead of time. God appointed the brothers and sisters of the church in Rome to something. That's not to say that he never appointed his creation to things again. I'm just saying that in Paul's encouraging words to the church, he reminds them that God appointed them to something. He appointed them. And the something is explained right here in this verse. God appointed them to a process. He appointed them to the process of transformation. He appointed them to the process of being transformed into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. God decided beforehand that based on his infinite knowledge of and love for these people that he created, he could restore them. He chose them to be restored to reflect his image, the character of his son, Jesus, and for that character to be perfected in them. Does this mean that he did not choose other people to be restored? No, it's not saying that. Paul's not writing vaguely about some opposite reality that that God condemned some by not choosing them. He's writing to the church in Rome about this incredible thing that God did for them. The brothers and sisters in Rome were being encouraged by Paul about the love that their father had for them. God knew them. He loved them. He chose them. He was restoring them through the power and presence of his Holy Spirit. And you can see this throughout the letter. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And there's something very specific about the words in this verse. The church in Rome had been chosen to be conformed to the image of Jesus for a purpose, a very specific purpose. And we can't ignore this part of these verses They were being transformed because God was starting a new family. He was starting a new family. And Jesus was, of course, his firstborn son. And these brothers and sisters were the first generation of God's New Testament church. His family, his new family. Jesus was the oldest brother. They were the next in line and God had chosen them for this. 
There would be many, many more to come in God's family. And each generation would have the significance of being another generation in God's family. Each generation would be critical to the next generation. Each generation would be conformed to the likeness of Jesus through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in them. But Jesus would always be the firstborn. And Paul could see this. He knew that there was something new being created here. He knew that the church in Rome was part of the first generation. What an incredible thing to help them see. Jesus, brothers and sisters, the first generation of God's new family. And we come now to verse 30. Paul carries on in his thought. He says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So the third phase of the five highlighted here is that of being called. The church in Rome had been known beforehand. They had been appointed beforehand. And they had been called to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Simply put, they were invited. They were invited by God into this. The brothers and sisters in Rome had been summoned by God, invited by their creator to be transformed God would use his spirit, his word, his son, his creation, his people. Through all these means, God invited his creation to become the first generation of his new family. They were to be the first fruits of his redemptive plan. They were invited by God. Out of his infinite love, he extended them an invitation, a welcome to join his plan and become part of his family, being conformed into the image of his perfect son. I can only imagine how encouraging this simple word would have been. God invited them. They didn't earn it, merit it, deserve it, win it, achieve it. God invited them. And those whom he called, those whom he invited, he also justified. They'd been justified. And we've talked about this word before earlier in Romans chapter 8. God made them righteous. God placed them in a position of righteousness Positionally, they were now the people that God had created them to be. Their relationship with their creator had been restored. He put them there and he made them acceptable again. This was certainly big news to the Gentiles in the church in Rome. It was no longer just the Jews who were acceptable. They had been justified as well. In Romans chapter 4 and through Romans chapter 6, Paul had written plenty about their faith. They had been justified through their faith. Because of their faith, God declared them righteous. Read those chapters sometime. By faith, they were placed in Christ. God invited them to come, and they came, and he justified them. He made them righteous and acceptable. The final stage of the five mentioned here follows justification He says, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. To glorify someone in this context means to exalt them to a glorious rank or condition. God will transform his children to a heavenly condition. In spite of the fact that we all fall short of the glory of God, God will glorify us. 
Paul wrote back in verse 21 that there is glory for God's children. He was writing there of our freedom. In verse 17, Paul wrote to the church that they would be glorified with Christ. Jesus himself was glorified. The disciples saw him in his glorified state. That's coming for God's children as well. So how confident and encouraging is it that Paul writes in this verse that the brothers and sisters of Jesus had been glorified had been glorified past tense i love the confidence that's expressed here they would be glorified and so confident is paul that he writes as if that glorification had already happened foreknown predestined called justified glorified We just looked at Paul's words of affirmation that that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. His purpose is spelled out clearly here. His plan is spelled out clearly. Now, please see this before we wrap up this week's look at, at Paul's letter. The words that follow these two verses are significant to the context as well. They explode with affirmation and encouragement. They sum up what Paul's been writing about. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What an incredible celebration of the riches of God's love. That's what these two verses were intended for in Paul's letter to the church in Rome. They were not intended to create arrogance in the church. Well, I was predestined. You may not have been. They were not intended to create uncertainty in the church. Maybe I'm predestined. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. They were not intended to create apathy towards other other people. Well, Well, if God already assigned people to it, then we don't have to do a thing. He's got it all covered. They were not intended to create apathy towards God or life where we sit back and go, well, clearly I was predestined. I can live my my life the way that I please now. These verses were intended to encourage the church about all that God had done for them. Please do not take them any other way. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Thanks be to our Father for his amazing love, his unsearchable grace, and his unfathomable riches. And I invite the ushers to come now. We're going to close our time together in worship today. And I invite you to enter into worship today, keeping in mind all that God has done for his children. We pray with me.
Father, if there is anything in our lives that prevents us from seeing and acknowledging all that you have done for us, will you take it away? God, will you just bring us to the place where we stand before your throne with confidence and see your goodness and your love and your wisdom and your power. Will you bring us to the place where we stand before your throne trusting you fully? knowing that there are many things we don't understand about you. But we do know your character. We see it so clearly reflected in the book of Romans. We see it in these two verses that we looked at today and in so many other places. We see the reality of how much you love us. God, I want to thank you for the first generation of your church. Because they said yes to your invitation, the news of your gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, was handed down generation after generation, and it got to me, it got to us. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your deep, unconditional love. Thank you for making us your children. For justifying us. Thank you for the day when we will be fully glorified with Jesus Christ. We will be perfected. All the chains, all the trappings of this world, the flaws of this world will be gone. Bring us to that day in full understanding of how much you love us. Father, we love you too. We're privileged to be your children. Thank you for Jesus, and we pray all this in his name. Amen.